Are you ready, Sean? I'm ready, Brendan. Let's do this. Welcome to There and Back Again. And again. I'm Sean. I'm Brendan. And you are here with us for a special Halloween edition of our show. First time we're doing this, probably definitely not the last. And I would say probably not the last time that we'll explore something in the horror genre. Definitely not. Definitely not. And yeah, so with this one, we decided to go with a film that we have both seen. So it would be a true rewatch. And yeah, this film comes with a very nostalgic background for us, I would say, just at least in our friendship, not something we grew up with, but something that we experienced together for the first time, which we tend to like to do with some horror films. If there's something that we recognize is coming out, we want to see together, well, you should try to hit each other up and see if we want to watch it at the same time. So in this particular case, we, I think we saw this one not too long after it would have come out on Blu-ray, DVD, whatever it was. Yeah, it would have been, it was released May 30th, 2008, so it had to have been during senior year of college that we would have had the chance to watch it together on, you know, on home video, if you will. And really, I mean, if you look at all, like, our top 10 lists, this, well, and this this one isn't on the top 10 list, but of all the movies that we've, you know, planned on rewatching or have already rewatched, this is probably the only one that we watched together for the very first time. Correct. You know, we saw Dark Knight in theaters together, but we had each already seen it at least once before. So yeah, it's it's a pretty fun story of our experience watching this movie together. I'll let you kind of start start that off because you were you were house sitting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I was house sitting for some good friends of mine who were I think they were taking a trip down to Disney World or something like that, and they asked me to watch their house for the first time. I had not really spent a whole lot of much. A whole lot of time at their house, but I was familiar with them, and they had, well, I think, four dogs in this in this house on this really quiet street, which is a perfect setting for the film. And yeah, I remember getting to the house for the first night and getting really acclimated and familiar with the house. And then I found that they had this movie theater room, yeah. and it was just a, you know just a really simple room, not not too elaborate like you can see in some people's houses nowadays. But there was a projector and there was a, a large screen and then on the wall they had a huge collection of movies a lot of disney stuff and then i noticed that they had this case of movies that they had downloaded this huge i mean you can you can picture like one of those like cd i don't know what they call those things anymore those cd like binders or whatever where cd walls yeah like pages and pages and pages of of you know burnable dvds and we just, I think I invited you over to watch something other than this one. And I showed you, I was like, dude, look at this. Look at what they got here. Look how many movies are in this thing and things that we had wanted to see or things that we hadn't had an opportunity to see yet. And we just, I, we spent the longest time just like flipping through that thing, finding things to watch. And I don't remember how we happened upon the strangers or how we landed on that one as like, you want to give, you want to give this a shot? I'm going to go ahead and guess that it was you who saw it first and you were like, I really want to give this one a try. I've heard of this one or saw the trailer or something because to be fair, I wouldn't have landed on that first and said like, let's do this. I'm totally going to get into this movie right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, I, I know that I would have been familiar with the movie. I'm sure I saw the trailers for it and it was one that I would have been interested in seeing. So yeah, when the, when the opportunity came up to watch it you know it was it felt like the the perfect chance this you know this house that we were in it wasn't it it was like in a neighborhood it wasn't like as remote as the house in the movie right. but it's still we were like in the basement and i'm i'm guessing there was like a door to the outside like from the basement and like in the back of the house into like the backyard the yeah but not from like this room that we were in there were no windows mm -hmm. and you know, when you shut the one door there is to the room, turn the lights off, it is pitch black, except for, you know, whatever you have on the screen. And so it was like, it was the perfect setting to watch a horror movie. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you watch horror movies typically, but for me, like, I need to set 
the mood when I'm getting ready to watch one. I'm usually watching it by myself because my wife's not a horror fan. So it's like, I was like, everybody else in the house has gone to bed. I turn all the lights off. You know, usually I'll make some popcorn. And then it's like, all right, I'm, I'm like, we've set, set the scene here for to get, you know, spooked and then watch the movie. And that's, that's how this experience was for us. Yeah, it was, it was truly perfect. And again, being in the setting of it being an unfamiliar house, not, not, not a brand new modern house. It was, it was an older house and there were noises here and there to be frightened by. And it's, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. It was the perfect setting for a horror film, not my favorite setting for a horror film, but perfect for a horror film. If that's what you're going to do, especially yeah. for a first time viewing, because yeah, you know, fact. yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, my typical, just because, Hey, I know myself, if I'm going to watch a horror movie, there's going to be at least, I'm going to say one tiny bit of light in some area of the room. <laughs> typically like maybe behind me so i'm not just like staring at the light the whole time but yeah last night when i watched this it was the first time i'd watched it since we saw it at the house and so you know i just went into the kitchen and just turned like one of the lights on under the cabinets like hey hey i got that at least i know that and so i'm not gonna lie i i glance around as i'm watching this particular film just to you know hey just to be sure i gotta keep my family safe so i'm not scared for myself clearly it's just it's for the kids of course and, Yes. But this is, man, this is, a. there are so many things you could point to in this film where you would say like, there's so many things that you can expect to be in a horror film and they're in this film. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I, I think we would both agree that the things that are done in it though are done very effectively. And oh, so yeah. to, to view it in the way that we did was, I don't know if I could have set it up any better to view this film in that type of way in an unfamiliar place. It was, it was perfect. Plenty of things that happened during the film and after the film that just solidified this as something that we do have to go back to sometimes and rewatch. Yeah, the, I think the only way you really could have like made the experience any better would be is if, like I was saying, if the house was actually like out in the country or something where you feel like right. you're, you're so far from any, you know, anybody else that could possibly help, you know, especially if like if you lose access to your phone, your car. And then it's like, you're just stuck with nowhere to go. That would probably be the, like really the only thing that could have added to that experience. But I'm, I'm definitely, I'm fine with the fact that it wasn't that way for us. Right. It still was perfect. Oh yeah. And, and I remember, you know, the movie, like we watched the movie and we were both pretty freaked out because, you know, the premise of this movie is just, it's essentially just a random home invasion. Yep. And we're both in this house that like, you know, we don't live there or whatever. And we're not fam super familiar with it. And like both of us were terrified to leave that room, even just to like go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was still so dark. And it's like the there's only one way out of this room. So like somebody's in the house and like there's nowhere to go. So I remember it was just such a such a frightening experience. But in like that's that's what I want when I watch a movie like this. Yeah. Well, I remember in particular too, like in order to get to the bathroom or the kitchen, you had to walk by two different dark hallways in order to get there. And it was just a big nope for me. Like whatever <laughs> I have in this room right now is enough and it will survive, yeah. I will survive until morning, but I'm not leaving. And this is just a straight up personal fact about you, but you're not the easiest person to wake up in the morning. <laughs> that is true. It takes many alarms. And I remember we fell asleep in that room. You know, I think it was just like either like on sleeping bags on the floor or whatever. But the next morning, the thing that scared me awake was your phone alarm was going off and you didn't move. You didn't move an inch. That alarm can go off sometimes and you won't flinch whatsoever. I don't know if it's different now, obviously, but yeah, it is. Yeah. I remember just like, I, I want to reach over and shut that thing off, but I also don't want to move right now. But I think it's light enough out. I can't tell because of the windowless room that we're in. Right. And I don't want to go check. And I had to let the dogs out and I was hungry and thirsty. So eventually I had to get out there. But again, it was one of those houses that also I remember the, the furnace room was like right next to the room we watched the movies in. Oh, and so yeah. there were continuous just like knocks and bangs yeah. throughout the, that night. And yeah, I don't remember. Did we, did we watch like a movie directly after in order to kind of just not psych ourselves out too much? I don't know if we did that night. I know, I think there was another night at that house where we watched a couple movies. Yeah. 
but I don't I don't remember if we watched another one directly after that or not. But that's definitely that's that is a good strategy that I've done sometimes. If a movie like if really out, like you know, you watch an episode of like a funny show or something, something to like kind of change your mindset before you try to go to sleep. Yeah. That's what I did last night. I, I definitely like I, I watched this one by myself in the in our dark living room and then yeah, I got back into our room and just like had a long conversation with my wife. Let's talk about something funny. <laughs> Let's just laugh for a bit and we did and I was like, That feels it feels a little better, but still had the adrenaline rush from from this one. Yeah. But yeah, so again, this would have been I mean this would have been prior to two thousand ten, I feel like. And the movie came out in 2008, so it wouldn't have been, again, like we said, too long after it actually would have been released for home consumption. Yeah, yeah, sometime, yeah, yeah, it would have been sometime during senior year. I feel like it was, like, during the winter sometime, like it was cold out, but I could be yeah. wrong. So, yeah, but this was our last last year of college before we went our separate ways after graduating. So, yeah, like kind of just to talking about horror movies in general before we start getting a really specific discussion about this movie would you consider yourself in general a horror fan see that's hard because i would say not as much as you i don't i don't not enjoy them there's a particular like subgenre that i don't explore within horror films too much but i don't know if that would i like i'm just a fan of horror done well yeah. but not horror done gruesomely Uh you know i'm not there for the for the goriness of the horror i'm there for the thrill of it and i'm there for the the unexpected parts of it yeah you know but there i i've met horror fans like real horror fans that go to you know conventions and are actually fans of franchise type horror directors or you know the halloween films or the friday the 13th the freddies and the jasons and the all those types of things and even like the deep cut horror films and so i'm not i don't know i wouldn't say i'm I'm a fan but if i'm pointed in the right direction of a good one i'll give it a watch yeah but i mean you're you're one i would classify more as further along in the fanhood whereas you actually keep up on things that are coming more than i do yeah yeah i definitely would consider myself a, a fan of horror now i don't i don't necessarily watch everything that comes out and there's a lot of horror that I, I don't enjoy. Like, I mean, I, I definitely agree with what like you said, like horror done well, you know, good thrills and scares that don't always come at the expense of just like ridiculous gore or, you know, just weird stuff. And I don't, you said there's like one like subgenre that you want to explore. What, what is that? It was it the gore you're referring to, or is it another specific thing? I, I guess I would classify it as two then. So like the gore is, Again, that's like that that has to be borderline. Like if it's if the film itself as overall value and it's done okay and the story is good enough, sometimes I can look past that. Mm-hmm. The other one is when it gets too deep into the supernatural. Yeah. That it's almost borderline like getting into like the demonic territory like I don't yeah. know, I, I just don't, I don't like mess with it or play with it. There's some where it's just like ghost-like or like apparition type of thing, like that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But when you're getting like into more of like demonic and dealing with, you know, anything that's like satanic and you're like, yeah, I don't touch it. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't I just I don't in in as far as movies go, I don't really find it to be all that scary or compelling when it comes to like exorcism type movies and stuff like that. I definitely, right. think, you know, ghost stories and that kind of stuff, just a lot more interesting when they're done, done well. You know, I, one thing in the horror genre that we both agree on, that I said we will definitely revisit the genre at some point in this podcast, is Haunting of Hill House, the you know, yes. series on Netflix, which we both agree was excellent. That is the kind of like, that's the best kind, where it doesn't rely on a bunch of, you know, gore or whatever for scares. It just kind of has that good old fashioned, like, gothic horror, you know, haunted house kind of stuff that's that's what i really enjoy but then there's also a movie like the strangers which is just there's nothing supernatural about it Mm -hmm. and that's part of what makes this particular movie so so scary to watch is because like this could literally happen to anybody right yeah when it's based in so much realism like that it just it it ups the ante so much more and really again makes those experiences like 
watching in the setting that we did, which made it so much more interesting. You can almost look into, you know, the, like I said, the ghostly type of stuff and kind of be like, yeah, you know what? I know that's fake. I know that in my mind that's fake. But this that involves home invasion is just so much different, you know, and and with this one, they obviously they play with the idea of not really knowing or seeing your your antagonist so much. And yeah. that and that makes it so much worse. You don't really know what you're dealing with there, the capabilities. Yeah. So you said you said that this one in particular, that the the director said that this was based on something that he experienced. Yeah, according like that's what he said. You know, they start the film off saying, you know, this this story is inspired by true events. And so it's it's you know, it's different than what you usually see, like based on a true story, but it was just inspired by really all it was was he said when he was a kid, some night like a stranger came to their door and they asked for somebody who wasn't there and then they left. And that was it. And they did find out that later, like other homes in that neighborhood had been broken into that, that same night. Hmm. So that's where, you know, in this movie where, you know, the girl first comes to the door and asks, is Tamara home? And, you know, nobody's there by that name. And so that's, that's the inspiration, but then everything else that happens after is, you know, totally just fabricated. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's so many, there's so many cool things that have happened within the horror genre, like the very original, horror genre films that I'm sure are inspired in that type of manner where it's like this, this singular small idea. And then the rest of the story springs from there. I love it when they can do that because that just, there's so much creativity that can happen. You're not restricted to how exactly did it play out? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, again, playing with so many of the ideas of what could have happened or what can happen adds to that, adds to the anxiety of this film too. Yeah. I don't know if we've mentioned his name yet. Brian Bertino is the guy that wrote and directed. Yes. Full credit to him. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Yes. <laughs> Which he had some level involvement with a sequel too. I. Eh? Yeah. He, he wrote the sequel, I believe, which came out several years later. Which I, I, I haven't seen yet. I haven't taken a chance on that one. I did watch it once. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I mean, it's not to say I wouldn't watch it again. I would say it wasn't as good as the first. It, you know, it came out ten years later, and according to the poster, it's the same antagonists. Okay. You know, looks like in the like the pictures from it show the same. You know, the same three villains with the masks and whatnot. So yeah, but I I I don't remember a whole lot about it specifically. Not to say it was bad, just not as definitely not as memorable memorable as the first. Okay, I don't think it was. It definitely wasn't the same individuals that portrayed the antagonists in the first one. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. Anyway, you said that popcorn was your was your go to movie snack for for this one, or for at least sitting down watching a horror film. Or is there anything else that you would go for? Say you're at a theater. I do usually like to get popcorn, you know, sometimes when I go to the theater, like if I had to choose a candy, milk duds would probably be my, my top choice for a bad one. Candy. What about you? If I'm at the theater, popcorn is not horrible. Although, yeah, I don't know. I would prefer something more like chips, but okay. again, that's not always an option at the movie theaters, at least what they offer, but popcorn is not bad. Yeah. And candy wise, I would typically go with something along like the Reese's Pieces or M&M range. Okay. Something that I can just kind of slowly get into, but yeah. It doesn't last the whole movie and never lasts me the whole film, so I didn't close. No. I mean, I've I remember recently I took my son, not recently. I think it was when the Mario movie was out. Took him to see that. Uh-huh. And we did we did the whole random target first and grabbed dollar boxes of candy and <laughs> got in that way, but Right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I the candy at the movie theater because it's crazy expensive. You know, popcorn yeah. can as well, but you the... can't really sneak in popcorn very well. Right. Far on this on this episode, we've admitted to watching an illegally pirated copy of the movie <laughs> that we watched and then admitting to sneaking candy into the movie theater as well. Everybody does the the second one. Everybody buys cheap candy and then, you know, takes it to the movie theater. That's very true. And you know, I, I worked in a the movie theater for three, almost four years. Oh yeah, it, it, it's so prevalent that you really just stop caring after a little while. Yeah, it's really just more power to you on how you can strategize to sneak that stuff in. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I once cleaned up a theater where a family snuck in a whole 
meal of Chinese food. Oh, we had wow. no, we had no idea whatsoever when they walked in and got their tickets. I don't know where the food was, but <laughs> when we cleaned up the theater, there were boxes and boxes of like those Chinese takeout things. I was like, yeah, that's commitment. Yep. I would hate to be somebody else in that theater just smelling it the whole time. Oh yeah, it probably smelled so good and it makes you want it. But you're so I bet there were a lot of people that left that movie and went to go get Chinese because they were craving it. Maybe it was like employees of the Chinese restaurant, and they're just like, "We need some more customers." So <laughs> that'd be a good strategy as long as you can get away with it, right? So okay, so outside of a theater, if you're watching a horror film, it's dark, it's quiet. Most of the time you're alone. You said you got your popcorn at home, go to drink. I mean, let's say everybody, we drink plenty of water, but outside of that. Yeah, it's probably iced tea. If I'm drinking something, I used to be Diet Coke, but yeah, if it's not water, it's usually tea unless we happen to have like something like lemonade or something, but that's not very typical. So yeah, nothing too exciting. What about you? It's either water or orange juice. Oh, okay. I, I don't know why, but that's like a real like comfort juice. When I when I drink that, I like even if I'm watching a horror movie, at least I'm I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> yes, you're OJ. Yes. I, I like feel it. like a kid. I feel like a kid like saying that, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely that. I don't know, like I don't really have, like go to snack other than just like uh, whatever we have in the pantry. Yeah. I ideally, I would love to have like a bag of Doritos or something like that. Yeah. That to me is just like a solid sit down and watch a movie food. Yeah. Doritos are awesome. It's like up there with popcorn when you're watching a movie. So when we, so getting into this one though, I don't want to waste anybody else's time here. We got to <laughs> talk about the movie in is almost exciting. As exciting to talk about it as it was to watch it. Right. But for you sitting down to watch it last night, what were your feelings? Were you brought back to that first night? A, a little bit. Yeah. I, I will always, you know, probably more so than a lot of other movies. I like watching this movie will always take me back to that first experience because it was just kind of a more unique experience of watching a movie. So yeah, but there was a lot that I didn't remember. Like the beginning, I didn't remember that there was like the narration that almost sets it up like it's a documentary mm-hmm. inspired by true events. And then they, they kind of talk about the the backstory of what happens. Like, you know, kind of has that like movie trailer voice, like, you know, the FBI reports this many crimes every year. Yeah, right. And then and then you get the the 911 call or you know like the recording of the 911 call that you know again just kind of makes it feel like you're watching a, the beginning of a true crime documentary or something. But yeah, the vibes right from the beginning are, you know, pretty pretty spooky like, you know, there's just already just kind of a tension you feel like okay, and rewatching it it's like even though I already know what's going to happen, it's like all right, buckle up. Here we go. Mm-hmm. What about you? What were the the vibes? I had totally forgotten the whole intro of the film. I think just because of how much other parts of it scarred me, but I, I, you know, I had no recollection of any type of music or what was said at the beginning. So as soon as the music chimed in right before that narration, I just, I remember thinking like, as we were sitting there in that room in that house, just like, nope, nope, this music's already, I I already regret that we're doing this. And then they, you know, it pulls you in with that narration at the beginning. But I, again, like the question is going through my mind when he says, what you are about to see is inspired by true events. And I'm like, why am I doing this right now? Why, <laughs> why are we doing this? This is, right. this is one of those things that you're currently trying to talk yourself out of, but it's, again, it's pulling you in. So you're just like, oh, we're, we're doing this. It's kind of like being buckled into a roller coaster where like, as soon as it starts, like, you know, you're not getting off. Yeah. You can't like yell at them and tell you to stop. You can't pull a cord and say, put the brakes on. Like. Yep. We're, okay we're doing this and i'll just scream my way through it you're stuck but, yeah yeah but yeah I, I mean i i think the way you i mean you could say there's plenty of tropes about the way this one starts but i oh. thought it was very uniquely done and i thought i don't know i was just trying to pay attention to like in particular like the music it wasn't typical but it was very anxiety inducing music i would say is what i noticed about it yeah it helps build a lot of tension there's not you know, we'll talk about some specific instances, but there's not always like big like musical cues that are like cluing you into like, okay, something's about to happen or something is happening. Sometimes they just let things happen on their own. Right. It is, you know, a cool, unique way to do it because, you know, as many tropes as there are in this movie, 
you can tell there's some some ways in which they were trying to avoid some tropes as well. And, you know, we'll get into the specifics of those as we move along. But interesting, I thought that this movie was shot in chronological order, which is not always a typical way of, of a movie being filmed. And, in, you know, in part, probably because, like, you know, when you have something like the car in the driveway that gets destroyed, you know, you kind of got to film that because then it's in the driveway for every shot on the right. exit, you know, for the right. rest of so and they you know probably have a super limited budget obviously it's a very low budget movie and so you can't necessarily afford to buy a bunch of different cars to keep destroying one after the other but i wonder how much of that is just like a budget conscious thing or of course like you got like you know something happens in the movie where then there's a big splatter of blood on the wall in the hallway and then every time anybody walks past that like the blood splatter is there and so it, you know things like that kind of make sense to to film in order right and those things can't be like changed. You can't like break that part of the set or have something happen to it because that blood spatter has got to stay the same and, you know, almost in the same spot, same pattern. Like it's got to stay like that because right. pe- people do notice those things when it's like, it wasn't there like that before. It didn't look like that. So oh yeah, yeah. it's, it's very effective to do that. Not only for the audience, but probably for the, for the actors as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. For them, just as far as like the the psychological aspect of of playing these characters that are under such duress for the majority of the movie, kind of help them, you know, with their performance. Right. Yeah. And you talk about you talk about tension from this, not just from it being like the feeling of the kind of film that it is, or the music, or you know, the the beginning narration. But immediately, as soon as we're introduced to the two characters here with Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman portraying them there's immediately a tension in that very first shot and the very first scene with them in the car. And you, you get the sense that there's, there's something going on out here that's beyond being frightened. There's a, an emotional piece here. And so I feel like for the first bit of the movie, I, I didn't really look at how long into the movie, but for the first good chunk of the movie, you almost forget that you're in, you're watching a horror thriller movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, you know, it could be just a drama between the two of them at the beginning, you know, and it kind of sets it up like they're in the car. She looks like she's been crying and there's clearly some tension there. And then they show up to this house and there's rose petals everywhere. Like you can tell that this was meant to be a happy occasion. And we find out, you know, fairly quickly that he must have just proposed to her and she said no. So kind of an awkward you know, showing up to that house where he was doing this whole big romantic gesture and it kind of fell flat. So yeah, it just, it, there's already some tension there even before anything horrific happens just between the characters. So there's the vibes are already just not great. I I love how they don't set either of them up as like the bad guy in that scenario. Like neither of them are angry at one another. Neither of them are trying to hurt one another. So there's no, there's no way throughout any of this film that you're hoping I mean, this is morbid. You never really hope something happens to somebody where you're like, oh, that guy totally deserved it because he was being a jerk to her the whole time. You know, right? they were just, they were both emotionally hurt people in this unfortunate situation. And yeah, so throughout all of that, throughout like, you know, their their emotional conversations back and forth leading up to when the actual stuff starts happening in the movie, you you think this is just some kind of, or you feel like this is some kind of romantic drama. And even the way they shoot it, throughout that you know it's just singular shots individual you know close-up camera angles nothing too fear or anxiety inducing in what's happening here you know it's just it's just emotional drama and so the cameras are all what i want to say steady shots you know they're just on a you know i don't want to say a tripod but in other movie terms on a dolly or i just like sitting there still and it's not until like the tension outside of the emotional part actually starts happening do we get more jerky kind of unsolid camera movements? And I really noticed it this time around mm-hmm. that when you feel like they're actually now in a very different scenario, not so much the emotional drama part, but more like in the the horror part of it, the camera just started is more jerky. It's more shaky. It's, it's, it's mm. lower angles, you know, and it's, I thought it was very cool. Just kind of see it. They, they switch in more than just the dialogue and the, intensity of the scenes but more and they change like how the camera moves and works too yeah yeah that's really interesting it's a cool cool bit of filmmaking the way that the even just the camera movements can help add to the just the whole the tension and the 
you know, you want it. They obviously want to make you feel like you're in the house with them. And you never know, like, what's around the corner. You know, when's the next time there's going to be a loud banging sound? Where is it going to come from? Is it going to come from the front door, the window, or whatever? That's part of why this movie is so effective. Yeah. there. I mean, like you said, like we've said, there are different ways that you can identify different tropes that happen. But one thing that they do in the movie... Oh, and we'll just kind of this is outside of horror, but one thing they do in the movie that completely just is is horrifying is the fact that after they've sat down at the table, they've had a conversation. James Scott Speedman's character gets out a tub of ice cream that I'm sure he was planning on enjoying with his fiance to be here, and just starts getting into it himself, and that thing just stays out on the table. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The whole time, what a waste. It's yeah, it's a shame. That was some, that was bluebell ice cream. That's a good ice cream. That's that's not any like go to Kroger or get store brand Meyer ice cream right there, but that's that's a high end ice cream. That's good yeah. stuff. Stuff, yeah. And on the you know, and I thought of this too while we were talking about the continuity of everything because of them shooting in chronological order. Like anytime you see that table, that tub of ice cream is still there. It's still so, there. Yeah. Like man, what a waste. But what a great reminder. Put your ice cream away when you're done yeah. with it. Like don't let that stuff go to waste. Yeah. At some point, you could have just like you know while they're running around the house, like grab a spoonful. But I don't know. They didn't. They never touched it again. It just sat there melting. So that's yeah. that is very horrific. Oh yeah. But yeah. So yeah. I mean, we talked about obviously Scott Speedman is James. You got Liv Tyler here is Kristen. And I remember seeing when I saw her. At least I don't remember seeing her in the cast list. But when she showed up on screen, I was immediately like, oh yeah, I like Liv Tyler. So mm-hmm. this is this could probably be good if she chose this as something in her repertoire. Like, all right, this this is probably a good straight up horror film worth watching. So yeah. give it give it a shot. But I thought she did such a great job, you know, being somebody who's come from other high profile films to come down to what you could call, you know, a, a typical horror genre film, you know, mm-hmm. that could have been focused on jump scares, but she obviously saw something valuable in it. And I think I think she did a great job in her portrayal here. She did. You know, a common phrase that's thrown around amongst horror film and specifically like, you know, actresses or female actors in these movies is like Scream Queen, you know, like Jamie Lee Curtis Mm. in franchise. And so and then she does a great job in that, like she does scream a lot. And apparently she even got tonsillitis from filming this movie because of all she she did. But yeah, she's she does a really good job. You know, Scott Speedman is good too and obviously there's so little cast in the movie and the you know we don't we never see fully see the faces of the the intruders but yeah they the performances were all well done yeah i feel like the only other person that we really see is his brother mike who shows up later yeah and then the two boys um, right yes mormon boys or something yeah they're they're the only only other ones yeah but they they genuinely did a great job here. Like you can, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to portray being scared unless you're actually scared, you know, yeah. or like being startled and actually unless you're actually startled here. But I thought they did a great job with how they did that here. You never really felt like anything was disingenuous. Yeah, it's it's interesting how they set. You know, the whole the whole house, the interior of the house was built on like in a warehouse, like a, kind of like on a sound stage. So, you know, they they had a lot of noises, like the banging noises and stuff that they make. Like, they were actually doing those noises, like, live on set for the actors to react to. Mm. And so, and they would, they, were, they would kind of trick Liv Tyler. You know, we get to this point where he, James, leaves to go get her cigarettes. So she's alone in the house. And this is after the, the one girl has already, you know, come to the door once. And so they would like tell her like, okay, the noise is going to be here or whatever, but then they would do it like from a different spot or something and at a different time. So like to get genuine startled reactions out of her, cause she never really knew where the noise would come from or like the exact moment that it would, that it would come. So I, yeah, that was definitely a good strategy of, of, you know, just kind of getting genuine scares out of Liv Tyler. Man, I talk, bring it back to that. Like, you don't ever, and again, this is a film, and then it's made in the in the horror genre, or at least the thriller genre. But you never leave someone alone. Like if there's just two of you, you go together, man. 
Like you never leave someone else alone in the middle of nowhere, late at night in a house they've never been in. You, you just, I think, I feel like that's common knowledge. If you're in a realistic scenario, you just don't do that. I mean, I'm sure he was confident in the house, whatever like that, but that girl just showed up at the door. Like, man, you, you don't leave her behind. Just say, Hey, let's go to the store together to get these cigarettes that you feel like you so desperately need right now. But yeah. Yeah. But it's again, that could be considered a trope. But I mean, like when you and I watch this movie, unfamiliar house late at night, not the middle of nowhere, but still dark out outside. There was no way like I was going to leave you in that room by yourself. I would not yeah. abandon you like that. But but I guess, you know, I guess he was just trying to do something for her. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say he did. He did know the house. You know, it was like his family's house or something. But she didn't. Know. She didn't, right. But he he must have felt comfortable enough. Like, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere. You know, nobody's around. Even though they had just had somebody come to the door, he was confident enough, foolishly so, to be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to go. I'm going to leave. Of course, not to mention the fact that he was already drunk and should have been drunk bit. in the first place. Right. Don't drink and drive, folks. And I did want to go back real quick to when the girl comes to the door and asks his Tamara home, you know, even though she doesn't have a mask on, you know, the, the front porch light is off. So you still like her face is, you know, in the dark, so you can't really see. So even before we know that she's going to be the one of the villains and, and has a mask on, they're still, you know, obscuring her face. And as soon as she leaves, you know, he screws the, the light bulb in and then the porch lights back on. Yeah. So. I, I I turned up the brightness as much as I could to try to see as much of her face as I could, but obviously they they know what they're doing with the when they're doing the editing, so you can't really tweak the brightness at all to even really get a glimpse of her face too well, unless yeah. you pause it at just the right spot when she's turning away. But I didn't mess with that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, then from then on, they're just all obscured, right? Covered at least. So the next notable thing that happens is like the iconic moment. Of this movie and we we yep. talked a lot about the tropes and this is a moment where they do the exact opposite of what you expect to happen in a horror movie Liv tyler is standing kind of over by the kitchen dining mm-hmm. room and from the entryway and we haven't even seen this character before until this moment the man in the mask just shows up from that dark entryway and normally what happens in these moments is there's like a big musical cue that's like, you know, some like that makes you think, oh, something's happening. And it makes right. you jump, you know, those jump scares that are so common in horror movies. But there's just nothing. It's she's just sitting there. She's by herself. She's not talking. Nothing's going on. He just pops out and just stands there and watches her. And it's just like it's so quiet. And even though I knew it was coming, it still gave me chills in that moment. Oh, yeah. And it just makes, yeah, like you said, the, the quiet and the subtle step out, the the lack of any cues, it just makes it so much worse. It just, it, it ups the game of what they're now into. And it kind of reveals to you as the viewer, like the full, cap- I want to say capabilities, there's nothing super about what they're doing, but they've just, freely walked in and out of this house without even being heard or seen. And yeah, just that step out. And he even like takes like a few steps forward. I feel like as she's kind of stepping further into the kitchen, but Mm. not a single noise heard. And as soon as she's gets her glass of water from the sink and turns around and leans against the counter, he's gone. Yeah. As quietly as he came in without, like you said, without any cues or any noises to even give you any kind of indication. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it completely, any any sense of security there was, they're like, okay, she's inside the house, the doors are locked, it's completely gone in that moment. And I'd have to go back and rewatch to remember, like, did they lock the door after he left to go get cigarettes? Or did she forget to lock the door behind him? Or had the, had the knocking happened again before he shows up in the house? I feel like maybe there was at least one more time where she comes in, or somebody comes and knocks on the door. And so she goes and she locks the door or makes she sure. She does. Yeah. And then she calls him. Yeah. And that's before. Yes. It's before, before he comes out. Mask shows up in the house. So like somehow they've, they've gotten inside with this locked door. It's like any, you know, any sense of security is, is completely gone. And you know, like, okay, it's just going to get really bad from here. Right. 
And she has no indication that he's been there at all, other than until she finds the smoke detector on the chair. Right. Yeah. Then she knows like something's really going on. And she she tries to or she, you know, she's able to get a hold of him on the house phone, but then that right. goes, and they've cut the phone line outside. Cell phones aren't working. So then she retreats to the bedroom and she's just kind of waiting. Why she doesn't close and lock the bedroom door, I'm not sure. But she just goes and sits there and then the music turns on and you hear footsteps and James is back. Yeah. Obviously, like they're trying to make you think that like one of the intruders is in the house, but why he wouldn't announce that he's home, I don't know. But, you know. Not a very considerate thing to do. Yeah. But he doesn't really believe her that anybody's been in the house. And then, you know, we see that her phone has been thrown in the fire, which they don't notice that. Then they look out the window and then. Oh, uh, when they're looking in the garage? Yeah, they go into the garage after they've kind of searched the whole house. And then what happens next? They look out the window and there's like that other. It's like that. Like you said, there's that iconic shot, obviously, the guy st- coming out from the from the hallway there behind her. But I feel like it's the second one that I remember the most from the movie is when they look out from the garage window and she says something like, she's still here. And you see what we will refer to as Dollface, the the blonde-haired woman in the mask, standing out just in the middle of the front yard, just staring at them in their garage window, almost as if they knew where they were in the house the entire time, like just kind of tracking them, which is really freaky, but just staring. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of this point where James knows now believes her that you know something really is up because in the searching throughout the whole house and you know they're getting to the garage and looking through like he still doesn't really believe her but he's kind of just trying to reassure her that everything's fine and safe but as soon as they see her standing out there like he's he's freaked out now too yeah so he goes out to try and get his car or get his phone from the car and he's he well when he goes out there he sees that the his car has been bashed up like there's brick through the window field. Yeah. And the, you know, of course there's glass everywhere in the car. And then we see this hand come up and touch the back of his neck. And I originally thought that it was going to be Kristen or Liv Tyler's character. You know, it's kind of another thing, like kind of a, a trope that you expect where it's like somebody like comes up behind somebody and you think it's going to be somebody bad, but then, Oh, it's actually somebody good. But then in this case, it actually was one of the, the intruders I'm not sure. I, I feel like it probably was Dollface being the one that comes up and touches him because, you know, the man in the mask is wearing a brown suit. Mm-hmm. Pin up, the pinup girl, the one with the dark hair, the other, the she first. She's got like pink or red on or something. Like a red coat. And I think the, like the, the clothing, you can kind of see just like the sleeve on the arm was like a, like a bluish or green or something. So I think it was probably Tamara being the one that, that touched in the back of back of the neck but somehow they get away quick enough that he doesn't even see any glimpse of them when he turns around and you just hear them running away yeah i say we just call her tamra from now on oh yeah did i just did i call her tamra i forget like she was asking if tamra's home but she's calling for herself really that is her name yeah that's her name now it's tamra yeah not dollface so she touches him but immediately goes running which we don't see we just kind of hear her footsteps go off right Unless that was somebody else, but then he kind of sees somebody else bolt through the woods, and so consider him officially on the same page as Liv Tyler's character here. Same amount of freaked out. Yep. And then and as this goes goes back in and looks for the gun. Yes. Yeah. And something is legitimately going on. Right. Yeah. So they're basically in in survival mode now, or just try to like stay alive as long as possible here. So the so the gun is obtained. They found the bullets, and I don't. Do they immediately just go into hiding at that point in the room? So I think at first they go they go out and they like they push the piano in front of the front door because the man of the mask is trying to chop the door down with the axe, and he shoots through the door. And you know we never really see if like it doesn't seem like he hit him. Not but at he all. Stops like he goes away at that point. We see them go, I think it's in the bedroom, and they try to open up the, the curtains. Or maybe the curtains have already been opened, and it, they've written, like, hello in red. Oh, over, oh yeah. Up. So then that really, you know, gives, I think, him, you know, he understands, like, okay, they're 
they've been in and out of his house. Like they have access and like, we are not safe. So we need to get out of here. Oh, and that's the other thing with the car is that the, the, ti- the tires or at least one tire has been flattened, but I thought it kind of looked like the wires in the car had been cut too, but I wasn't really 100%, 100% sure about that. Well, they were able to start the car and you know, they, they both run out to the car and they, it, it oh, starts, they do both get in. Yeah. They try to leave, but then pinup girl comes up in the truck and you know, she doesn't hit him right away. She's just kind of, you know, revving the engine with the bright light and then turns the light off and you can see that it's her. And then you see the man in the mask standing in front of the car. I believe he's still holding the ax at that point. Yep. And then she just rams into the back of the car with the truck. So now their one hope of, of getting away in the car has been taken away. And at some point along the way here, I don't remember chronologically where this is at, but you have Mike show up. Which is he, is he his brother or is this a friend? I was thinking friend, but it could, could go either way, I think. Yeah, either I, I think, seems I like feel like other things I've read have referred to him as brother, but I've seen friend as well. So we're all confused here, but we'll call him friend Mike. And it is, it's chronologically, it's, it's after this. Because when okay. Mike shows up, he goes up the driveway and he sees the car. Damaged. Absolutely beaten to a pulp. As well as the like the fence, you know, he instead of going to the front of the house, he walks around to the back because he he walks through the fence that's been also kind of destroyed. Okay, right. And so, so what happens here is absolutely horrific. Which you yeah. know, you know, you get a sense here that when he shows up, I mean, when, when a friend shows up in a movie like this, they don't survive. He's doomed. Yeah, for sure. And there, you know, there, there are certain ways when you have certain expectations based on common tropes in horror movies. And this is one where in, in one way they kind of follow the trope, but another way they do kind of subvert your expectations. And that, you know, as he's walking, he gets into the house and then you see that the man in the mask is, is behind him with the axe. So, of course, we're expecting to see him, you know, get an axe. Brutally murdered. Yeah. yeah. But. It doesn't go that way. It doesn't. No, I mean, just through common accident, they think that they are defending themselves from what was probably what they assumed was the the man in the mask. And James shoots as soon as he sees someone come right into the doorway and ends up shooting Mike here, which, again, like when you're walking down the hallway with Mike and you, like you said, you see the man in the mask with the axe right behind him, you expect that axe is going to get planted into his head right as he crosses into the line of sight of his friends here, yeah. but the gun goes off and you realize what has happened and it's just absolutely gutting. It is. Like you said, it subverts it. And it's also not just for the audience, but it subverts it for the characters too. Cause now he's got more emotional weight to deal with on top of everything that happened between him and Kristen. He's just yeah. shot his friend here or brother, but we'll go with brother friend. And I, I will say one thing that I, you know, in the same way that when James com- comes back to the house after going out for cigarettes, he walks back into the house without announcing himself. Right. Mike, Mike does the same thing. Like there's one point where he's still outside where he's calling out their names. But then once he gets into the house, he can clearly tell that something's wrong. But he doesn't just call it and be like, James, Kristen, you guys here? You okay? And then they would have known, oh, Mike's here. Which, yes, then of course he still probably would have been killed. But at least he would have been killed by the man in the mask and not James, his right. and or brother. So, but yeah, either way. It's, it's definitely a bummer, and it's like every scene as we move throughout the movie, like, it just kind of ups the ante a little bit. Not in a way that, like, oh, each, you know, each kill is, like, crazier than the last, like, in a lot of movies, but just the fact that, like, everything that happens, it just gets more and more desperate for the characters, and it just feels more and more hopeless. However, to me, it still feels like they should have hope because he has a gun. I don't feel like they use that to the best of their ability. No. You know, in, in, in any scenario when you're in a film like this, you keep the gun by your side, no matter what. Yeah. You keep and, that. I mean, that's your upper hand. Right. And he did, like, he got kind of lucky. You know, he goes to look at the body because he's like, wait, why wasn't he wearing a mask after he shot him? And then he, he goes and finds out that it was Mike. And he does go back and grab the gun. So, but then his bright idea is for them to split up. Terrible so idea. Now, even though he has the gun, he's leaving Kristen in the house 
without the gun so he can go out to the barn to try and use this old radio to try and get a hold of somebody for help. Obviously, they're being stalked here and they're being, we call it, harassed. But at the same time, they're making a lot of mistakes here. There's, oh, yeah. there's so many mistakes being made. Leave, you know, whether it was that time of leaving the gun, whether it was that n- not believing one another, leaving each other alone, splitting up in this instance, very, just very bad idea. And then while she's alone, she has another bad idea. Yeah, she decides that she's going to go try to run out to the barn because she doesn't, something happens with him. She doesn't know what happens. She just hears, you know, a noise because he's out there. He's got his gun pointed at the pinup girl and she's like shining a light over there and he's getting ready to shoot her. But then you hear the man in the mask is like running full speed ahead at him and he fires the gun, but clearly doesn't hit him. So we don't really know what's happened to him. So Liv, Tyler, Kristen decides she's going to try to run out to the barn. And then we get another very common horror trope. Girl running, falls, now she's hurt. She can only limp for the rest of the movie. And it's like, what are we doing here, guys? This is <laughs> it's just terrible getting worse. Ideas. Terrible ideas. Well, in, in all of that, like even in her running, which I get she's concerned about him, but in her running and even then her, her like crawling, there is no, like she is just like, <laughs> dragging everything and making every kind of like grunt and noise possible it's like come on try try your hardest to sneak like they're doing because you got to be real quiet here if you're going to even have a chance of getting around them or getting the upper hand on these people but it doesn't happen yeah we we have another trouble immediately after this because when she gets to the barn she finds the radio she starts like somehow figures out how it works goes to make a call and then as soon as the guy in the other line says just tell me where you are there's pinup girl bashing the radio in and breaking it apart before she can even respond. And yep. then there's another line of communication just severed for them. Yep. This is totally unrelated, but I just, just remembered, we totally didn't talk about this earlier. You know, there's the, the scene where, you know, Liv Tyler's still alone in the house. And, I, you know, I believe it's after the man in the mask has shown himself inside the house. But then they're like, they're banging on all the doors, like all three of them, I think, are in different spots in the house, banging on windows and doors and whatnot. And she goes to the like the French doors and opens the curtains and the man in mask is standing there like right on the other side of the glass. That was another good scare. Yes. You 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 kind of expect it. You don't know. I didn't know like who's going to be there. And he's definitely the creepiest looking of the three. So that I just just thought of that one. It's like wanted to make sure we we mentioned that moment. Yeah. Uh, like we said, even though there are tropes, there's a lot of things that are done well. Yeah, absolutely. For a considerable amount of this film, she's alone. Yeah. There, obviously, you have James as her partner and her the protagonist in this with her getting getting tortured and haunted and crept down and all that stuff. But for a considerable amount of the film, Liv Tyler spends a lot of screen time alone, just yeah. being freaked out. And she does a great job of allowing us to feel that with her. But this is just another instance where... We don't really know what's happened to James at this point. We just saw him get jumped by the man in the mask. She spent some time alone outside in the barn. Now she's back in the house. You know, she's managed to get back in and she's retreated to a part of the house, but she's still, it's its a significant amount of time before we see him again. Yeah. There's also the other moment after he has shot Mike, they, they see that they've written killer on one of the windows or glass. Like almost immediately after. Yeah. Like, man, how did they manage that? But, you know, just another good, good moment. It's just, you know, as not that I want to like give credit to the intruders and be like, man, well done, guys. You're really good at this. But (laughs) obviously, they're doing this for like, it's like a sport for them. Like, they're doing everything they can to psychologically torment these people before they ultimately kill them. And it's like, there's again, could happen to anybody, but like, there's no, no motivation. No motive, like no reason whatsoever why these people are doing this. And, you know, there's there's several moments throughout the movie where Kristen asks them, like, why are you doing this to us? And, you know, they don't answer for for a long time. Because they, they don't have a reason to answer yet. Right. Another great scene is when Kristen goes to hide from the man in the mask in the pantry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is finally looking for a spot of just like seclusion, isolation, out of sight completely where she's maybe feels like she's got the upper hand on them because she can see them, but they can't see her. 
we all get what that would feel like. Like I got to find something that at least gives me some kind of advantage here. And she thinks she has, but man, it's a long period of time here where it's just her looking out and there's no music kind of like that first spot where he steps out again, just really well done of adding to the tension there. But I think it was kind of like in this moment where you're watching this and you realize as it, as things are happening outside of the pantry that she's observing it's it's hopeless now. It is truly, absolutely hopeless. Like there's no, they're in, yeah. and she's not, she's not getting out of this. Yeah, yeah. Their 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 one hope was the gun, and they totally misused that. And now you know we like you said, there's this prolonged scene. It's very tense. It's quiet. The only noise really is the man in the mask. You can hear him breathing, which reminds me of Michael Myers. You know, there's a lot of shots in Michael Myers where it's really more of like from his point of view and you can see what he's seeing and you hear the sound of him breathing, you know, just the footsteps. And then he goes and sits down at the table. I thought he might take a bite of the bluebell, but he doesn't. Again, miss chances, people. Yep. And then he gets up and walks away from the table and you think like, okay, maybe he doesn't know that she's in there and he just walks away. But then I believe it's Dollface or Tamara that shows up. Like, you know, that's another like big scare moment where she, you know, pops up in the pantry or at the pantry door and Liv Tyler is discovered. And yeah, it's it's over because then they're just in there from that point on. And she comes out from the pantry like I don't know what she's feeling or thinking at that point. But and I honestly forget even watching it last night. I forgot what she says to the the girl when she steps out of the pantry. But again, she doesn't say anything back. Yeah. She just kind of looks at her and like plays with a knife while she's looking at her. Yeah. She goes and grabs a much smaller knife from the, from the kitchen drawer. Right. It's just another, you know, like where this is just last hope. Last Desperate attempt. And they've brought in James. They've brought him by, back. By this point. Yeah. We see that the man in the mask has the gun. James does not, you know? Yeah. And he yells for her to run. So yeah, she goes to the bedroom and she can't get the window open and, Man in the Mask comes back and he overtakes her. And now they're both officially captives at this point. They're tied to chairs. And that's where you get this as they're, as they're waking up from being knocked out, tied to the chairs and subdued. You get this, what is really kind of the, the final iconic or most memorable shot of the film. I feel like we get two, whatever, you know, cover that you've got, like on a DVD or the Blu-ray, there's either one of two shots that are on there. It's either yeah. Liv Tyler in the kitchen with the man in the mask stepping out from the, the room there into the hallway, or yeah. it's this shot with the st- three strangers kind of standing above the victims here. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, they've pulled the curtains open. We see that it's daylight now and which, you know, we know that, that all of this starts to take place around 4am because they look at the clock when the first knock at the door happens. Right. And it's very unusual that anybody would be, knocking at the door at this hour, especially in such a remote place. But yeah, we finally, we see the three, three intruders together standing over the victims. And it's, you know, you still, you still don't know, like, what are they going to do? But you kind of definitely have a feeling that. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Have you ever seen Zodiac? Yeah. A long time ago. Okay. There's a scene in Zodiac that very much reminds me of this scene where it's just like, you know, as soon as a certain character Zodiac shows up in this scene, you know, it's absolutely hopeless for the other two people involved. Uh-huh. And, and this is that same similar thing where it's just, oh man, you're on the roller coaster at this point. Like it's, yeah. it's not going anywhere good. And, yeah. and, it, but we finally get the question again from Liv Tyler's character, why are you doing this? And most because of the, obviously the very little dialogue, especially from the, the antagonist, most memorable line from the movie yeah this is like an all-time great line of dialogue from from the horror genre yeah and it sticks with you because of being home invasion this it sticks with you but yeah she says why are you doing this because you were home that's it why are you doing this to us because you were home (sighs) it's uh it's very frightening and it just adds to the whole like this could happen anywhere to anybody at any time. There's no motive, no reason other than you were home. Yep. They're complete strangers, obviously, hence the name of the movie. And it's like, yeah, just it 
definitely sticks with you, as you said, because it's like of all the things they could have said, it's just such a plain reason, but very correct. Like, like you said, it just further communicates that this is just, this is a game for them. This is a sport. Yep. It's sick. And we don't have to get too much into what happened next, but they, they remove the masks, each of them one at a time. And you think you might finally get a chance to see their faces, but all you get is either, you know, kind of shots of the backs of their heads or uh, brief, maybe side glimpses there, but you, you still don't know who it is or what to even to associate them with. Yeah. It's still just very much very mysterious and still fear inducing. Yeah. I always have mixed feelings about like masked people, like whether I, I want to see their face or not. Uh, I do think it's, it, it's definitely better for just the mystery of it not being able to see because then like, if you do then see like, there's no going back, you know, if, if you decide, okay, this is what this person's going to look like or whatever, like, or even, you know, in a movie like Halloween, if they were to ever decide like, all right, we're going to fully show Michael Myers face and full light. Like then it's like that you're, you're stuck with that image. Like that's what Michael Myers looks like. And it's not as scary anymore as than when he's behind the mask, you know, and with these, these people, but, I did. I read that the original script had a lot more dialogue in the scene between the strangers and the victims, but they removed it in order to keep things more mysterious. Which I'm, I'm glad they did. I think it was definitely yeah. to not show their faces completely and just keep keep things keep the dialogue to a minimum. And that because you were home line is that's all you need. Yep. You don't need any more exposition or background or anything than that. It was the the perfect way to kind of just. And, you know, the, the movie, obviously, there's, it's, it's scary, it's horrifying, but then, like, in this, just these last few minutes, when they're tied up in the chairs, it's just, it's so brutal, and I don't even mean, like, with what they ultimately do to them, just the, the vibe and everything, you know, during that, that final scene is just, just the helplessness that you can feel for these right. people. Well, and, and other than that dialogue, and other than, like, what, like you said, ultimately happens to the victims here, it's just, so, it's, it's eerily quiet just yeah. like it would be if this was happening in real life like in real life there wouldn't be any music there wouldn't be any other kinds of clamoring it would just be quiet other than for the act of what is happening there and so yeah that really 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 just adds to it it's happening in broad daylight too yeah you know, yeah not, or there's nothing scary about the dark like we're in broad daylight but it's still it's like you know just that horrifying feeling that you get from this scene so immediately after doing what they came to do the strangers now killers are are seen leaving in their truck and driving down the road and they encounter these two i mean what want to say mormon boys like you said yeah on their bikes and the boys stop and hand them these witness tracks or whatever and the the girl the blonde-haired girl tamra gets out and takes the tracks from them and barely has any kind of die oh what does she say they say are you are you a sinner and she says sometimes you're right. Yeah. It's like, man, they don't stop being creepy. Right. But as, as soon as they get back in the truck, the man says to them, it'll be, it'll be easier next time. Yeah. I don't know. How did you feel about that line? I, I didn't, I felt like it could have easily just been cut. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was not needed for the end of the movie. You know, it's not like they were trying to set up a sequel or I mean, maybe they were, I guess. I don't know that, you know, the sequel that did happen didn't happen for 10 years, but yeah, I, I didn't think it was really necessary. You know, I guess maybe they're trying to indicate that, like, oh, this was the first time they've done this or something. But I, I think it would have been better just to leave it alone, just have them drive off without saying anything. But, I mean, it's not like it was a horrible line of dialogue or anything either. What about you? No. I mean, I like, I get it as a sequel setup if that's what it was. And I get it, like you said, if it was to indicate that there's other times that they're planning on doing something like this the characters in the film, I didn't personally, you know, love the line. It wasn't like, it could have been cut again, as much as dialogue as they did cut, they could have left this out too. her right. just getting back into the truck and them driving off would have been just fine. Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, it still adds, it still adds to the mystery. Cause you don't know if they're going to do this again. You don't know if it was their first time. They're just indicating that this time was a little bit more difficult than either they've had before or that they're planning on, continuing this streak here so not yeah. necessary but it was all right it wasn't the best part of the movie but so then, then we get the final scene where you know we see the same 
you know, kind of what was teased at the beginning with those two boys coming into the house and kind of surveying all of the, you know, the aftermath of what happened and they find the the victims there and the, you know, that, that last shot is one of the boys comes upon Kristen and bends down and I don't, it's, it's, it seems like he was like reaching for something. I don't know if he was like going to try to reach for a pulse or something because she didn't look like she was dead. I, I'm not sure. But she obviously wakes up and grabs him and starts screaming and cut to black. Roll credits. There you go. Yeah, she's got some. She's got some lungs on her though. I'm not surprised that she she had some issues with her throat afterwards because she definitely screams a lot and screams well. So yeah, good job, Liv Tyler. But <laughs> yeah, Whew. that uh, to relive that film and to relive it obviously after our, our first viewing of it was very nostalgic inducing but very anxiety inducing as well is this something that when people say like hey as being a fan of horror movies would this be a film that you'd recommend as a first watch or would you say there's other films to get to first or is this doesn't really matter i mean it's definitely one i would recommend for anybody that's looking for you know like if they're trying to find some good horror to watch yeah, it's I don't I don't know where it would I I've never tried to like rank my top whatever horror movies specifically. I don't know where it would fall for me. But yeah, it's definitely one I recommend if somebody's wanting to watch a, a movie and get scared. For sure. It's one of those ones if they want to watch something if someone's asking me and they want to watch something that doesn't have any, you know, too much one too much gore and also doesn't have anything to do with anything supernatural or ghost like. Yeah. Then this is definitely the good type of film to view yeah yeah definitely i would watch again well maybe we'll have to do another rewatch with maybe maybe with somebody who hasn't seen it before that'd be fun yeah that would be it's not gonna be my wife i can tell you that no mine either when i when i told her last night she's like what which one are you guys watching tonight and i said uh we're uh watching strangers you want to watch and she's she had other plans so (laughs) she quickly made other plans so yeah yeah and it's funny because we're actually like here pretty soon we're going to be in in north carolina for a wedding and we're going to be staying like an airbnb that's kind of like in the mountains or whatever so nice an even worse time for for her to watch this particular movie getting ready for for this trip so i doubt i doubt she'll even listen to this episode because <laughs> she hasn't seen the movie so that's all right i don't blame her yeah me neither but yeah this was a lot of fun to to revisit yeah yeah and uh, hopefully people have revisited with us, but we 100% completely understand if you chose not to. It is definitely the type of film and genre that, that takes, what would you say? It takes some uh, some courage. Yeah. And that's okay. If you don't like it, completely understand. We've got plenty of other films coming and we've got a lot of other films we've watched already. So if you don't want to be scared, that's all right. That's all right. We got some great films coming up too. So. Yep. We, we ask you to just to keep watching with us, keep listening. Uh, we love a lot of the feedback that we've gotten so far and some of the interactions that we've had because of that. So if, if you are so inclined, please go ahead and follow and like our Facebook page. Go on, uh, you know, right now we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review those on there. And we'd love to hear more from you guys and feel free to interact with us in any other way you see fit. But until then, thank you guys for joining us. And we are glad that you are here with us. Here at the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm.